I never even had a Facebook account. This was just something that I literally started from scratch, which I think it sounds daunting, but it isn't really, right? I think there's lots of demand, right? And this sort of attention economy, like there's lots of people pretty much checking Twitter and other places every day and swiping up and refreshing the page. That is just realizing, asking yourself, what do I have in me, in my head, from my own experiences that I could deliver to these people that are just thirsty for some information? Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Daniel Vassallo. Daniel left a $500,000 a year job at Amazon for freedom. He didn't know what to do, but before building anything, he knew he had to grow his audience. In this episode, you'll learn how he did that and almost made a quarter of a million dollars in the process. My name is Unique, and this is Hype Fury Presents. I hope you enjoy the show. I ended up at one point, the timing ended up being right. At the end of 2018, I just finished that project I was working on at Amazon. I realized that now is the time. I couldn't just keep waiting. And I just left without any concrete plan. I just had some savings and I said, I'm just going to live off them for a while until I explore and figure out what I wanted to do. (laughs) And basically my only goal was just to try to make you know, self-employed lifestyle sustainable, basically, <laughs> like to cover my own, my family's costs and figure it out. So that's how it started. And we can go, maybe I'll let you ask more questions, but we can go more detail into what happened after, <laughs> after I left. But that was sort of the pre-self-employment <laughs> phase. Yeah. So you gave your two weeks notice. And then I think a lot of people read your story about how you quit Amazon, you know, a a very well-paying job for a lot of insecurity. And I think that's also around the time, probably a little bit before that, that you became a bit more active on social media, Reddit and Twitter. How did that go? No, no. Very good point. In fact, actually not before, pretty much the week after I left. So I left February 1st, I think of 2019, it was a Friday on, so I took the weekend off. And on a Monday, this next Monday, I sat on here at my desk and I was a bit naive. <laughs> I thought I was just going to start building some product or whatever. And then I pretty much had a small <laughs> crisis. <laughs> I started imagining spending three months, six what months. What do I do? What do I do? Uh, no, no, actually, uh, yeah, like d- spending lots of time and then, you know, I release something and nobody sees it, right? Sort of, I had this little bit of, of a crisis and basically I figured that nobody knew who I was <laughs> outside of the companies I had worked for. Yeah. And then that's what triggered me to start what I'm calling building an audience. Back then, actually, I wasn't even thinking about it that way. I just wanted some people to know me. That I basically, I started to figure, I started to imagine what could I do? Should I build maybe some open source software? Should I start blogging? Should I start reading? I had, had absolutely no experience. So it's mostly trying by trying trial and error, right? Basically, originally I thought I was just going to be blogging regularly. Then I pretty much gravitated to Twitter. It turned out to be much more compatible with how I like to communicate. So I just the short, real-time tweets. And this probably, I would say, might have been my biggest my most positive outcome right because it was something that i had absolutely no idea how it would work out and i'm i value the attention that i'm getting from twitter and from other places probably to be one of my biggest assets right now that it's really really valuable to have some attention 
to be able to put something out and have people respond, listen to what you have to say without having to rely on other people. Like, that's the biggest thing because I don't have to, if I want to announce something, I don't have to rely on, you know, putting something on Reddit and praying that people upvoted or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, it started intentionally. I, I, I had absolutely no expectations on how it was going to go. It went really well. I encourage everyone who's thinking of working on themselves to think of how to get known, right? to try to make an effort to get other people to know who you are, what you do, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's really important. I th- I like the you know audience first part. You know, a, lo- a lot of people just think, hey, if I build something, people will come, which is unfortunately yeah. not true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I saw you you started your Twitter account back in two thousand nine, and was the the moment that you quit your job was it also the moment that you really became a lot more active? Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah, I had I had the Twitter account. I was just consuming. I always always liked Twitter. It was something that I checked every day. But yeah, pretty much my first real tweets happened the, that week when I left. I might have retweeted something before, but just tweeting in the void, <laughs> like there was nothing really. And not only that, right? I mean, uh, pretty much on the outside, uh, on social media, I just had never, I never even had a Facebook account, never really posted anything on LinkedIn or anything like that. It was just something that I literally started from scratch, which I think it sounds might sound daunting, but it isn't really, right? I think it's just... There's lots of demand, right, in this sort of attention economy. Like, there's lots of people pretty much checking Twitter and other places every day and swiping up and refreshing the page. That is just realizing, asking yourself, what do I have in me, in my head, from my own experiences that I could deliver to these people that are just thirsty for some information, right? And I think we tend to underestimate how much we know. I like to, as an inspiration, I like to notice when my friends in real life, friends and family, when they come to me to ask me about something, you know, they ask me, how's business doing? Sort of, how has it been after you've left your job? How did you feel about this and that? The fact that other people in real life are interested in something from me, it's an indication. It's not always, but it's an ind- often a, a good indicator that other people online might be interested uh, on the topic. And that's how that blog post that I wrote started. Pretty much on my last week at Amazon, when I was telling everyone that I was leaving, everyone was surprised, like asking me why, where, what are you going next? And they, sometimes these ended up being sort of multi-hour conversations, <laughs> right? And I realized that there was really, people were really fascinated that I wasn't leaving for another company. I was going to do something that I haven't even figured out yet. And I thought if it was interesting for these 10 people at work, it might be interested for maybe another. I mean, that blog post was seen like almost 200,000 times. It's quite impressive, <laughs> right? Which is sort of, it's unbelievable the scale of the internet, how much when something resonates, how much it helps you <laughs> spread it around. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think it also aligns a lot with credibility. You talk about that in your course as well, your Twitter um audience building course and i get to meet also a lot of people that are into building a following on twitter but there are also a lot of you know 20 year olds who'd like to build an audience but you know if you go back to let's say you're you're back in your 20s how would you with with the knowledge you had back then you know show your credibility and and build an audience no no absolutely i think basically i think if you don't have credibility you can tweet about anything but if you don't have credibility People just won't listen, right? It's it's such a fact. Uh, Nevertheless, I think even people just starting out life, if you're still an 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 
I believe that you almost certainly have credibility in something, something interesting. It might be your experience at college, right? It might be something, maybe your experience trying to find work for the first time. Is probably a 20-year-old will have much more credibility in that topic than I do, because the last time I interviewed that somewhere was 10 years ago, <laughs> right? Lots of things changed. So in fact, uh, like I see lots of people in their early 20s on Twitter, like for example, just uh, lots of software developers just starting out and just sharing how they're learning and grow- building their career and building huge audiences, much bigger than mine, actually, because there's like probably even more demand for this type of information than just people who aspire to become software developers. So I think it's important to just uh, dig into your head right, and see, right, what have I just experienced? What's still fresh in my mind? What's interesting to others? What did I just learn or just realize myself that if I knew it a year ago, two years ago, it would have helped me? And this is a little bit after that blog post, what I started doing I started sharing a little bit about how was I setting up my business and thinking about ideas. And this is, again, like, it was just things that I was doing anyway myself. And just by sharing them, sort of gave other people who were aspiring to do something like I was doing to just follow along and just acquire, you know, the information and knowledge from me. And it gives them a, a very useful, very important, I think, an opportunity to ask questions and start to building relationships with your followers, which is hugely important, I think, when it comes to sort of getting known. So yeah, I would definitely not hold not hold myself back just because I'm still young or I still haven't really had any big success or some crazy story. This is a very, very common question that you just asked me, but I think I really believe that almost everyone has just experienced something like that. <laughs> they could sort of build on. And just one one point, I think it's not because sometimes people think that if they start by sort of talking about some topic, they will find it hard to talk about other things eventually. But I found that to not be the case. Right? In fact, I started mostly talking about programming topics because that's what I knew and what I was doing. And But since then, I moved basically to other topics related to what I happen to be doing at the moment. And I think you know, some people will unfollow because, you know, maybe somebody might have followed you only just to, to hear about some certain things. But I think actually people sometimes overestimate this fear that you can only talk about one thing only. Yeah, I think that's true. Plus, you know, I think also like the Twitter algorithm, they find people in your audience that are interested in what you talk about. So part of people won't see your tweet, but they they probably also don't want to see your tweet. So yeah, that, or that particular tweet. <laughs> Yeah, yep. I think what a lot of people have trouble with is just they have an imposter syndrome, but also there's a lot of regurgitated content on Twitter. You know, people just copying everybody. Same with, with Twitter courses, I guess. Everybody has a Twitter course these days. Once you have tw- 20 followers, you can uh, you can create your own uh, course. Yeah, so that's... No, no, copying is not good. I mean, basically, because I think there's something that people miss. That, I mean, a tweet actually is not really something that's standalone. It's really, it needs to fit into your context. I might steal somebody else's tweet that was high, that went viral and it will almost certainly not do anything, even though I have a decent size following anyway to, to help it. Because I think the tweets that work, work because most of the people who have been following have seen your prior tweets. Right? So I think you really need to be documenting your own story, your own thoughts, right? And it's really not standalone topics. And that's why it's a little bad 
<laughs> a bad technique to just be sort of stealing little snippets. You just need to be documenting something, right? Documenting what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's where the imposter syndrome plays. You know, a lot of people think I don't have a interesting life. I'm just gonna look at what's what's playing on on Twitter right now, and I'm gonna say something that's related, or I'm just gonna copy stuff instead of being perceptive of what's around you and how. You <laughs> yeah, and it's you. You mentioned something important, right? You have to have something interesting happening in your life, which I would caveat. It doesn't need to be something extraordinary. It could be something you like traveling and you just document uh, how you plan your travels and your whatever, right? You like hiking. You could just talk about those, right? And every weekend you might say, here's what I did. Here's what I prepared. I'm I'm very, pretty much convinced that you'll if you do that consistently, you'll build a decent-sized following within a year, right? And uh, <laughs> um, and you'll have sort of, you, you get yeah. people asking you questions and asking for advice. So. It could be just a hobby. It could be something that you're doing anyway. It could be something that you're learning, a very common technique. I'm just learning how to how to program or how to do DIY in my house and then just documenting and taking photos and saying, here's what I did. You know, that's one way to do it. <laughs> this interview reminded me of uh, Reddit. You experimented a little bit with advertising on Reddit and I... Actually, yeah. yesterday, I also um, put a Reddit ad live and I just tweeted about it today and I immediately got a lot of comments and interaction on that tweet. So it was interesting. It just, I just made a copy. Yeah, I just <laughs> made a screenshot of the ad and then, you know, that's, yeah, it, it's nothing special. It's just, you know, showing yeah, I, what you're doing. And the, the funny thing is that sometimes actually it's a bit almost scary is how much uh, I did the same thing that right? I may, maybe you remember that I posted a couple of screenshots and tweets about my experiments with Reddit. And sometimes people believe that I'm some expert in advertising or that, which I'm absolutely probably the complete opposite. I again, like it's just small experiment that I tried. Basically, here's what I realized is that people really appreciate hearing from somebody who has firsthand experience. And this is probably one of the biggest opportunity in, in social media. That is that you might read from lots of people that don't really share exactly what they're doing, just you know, uh, teaching without actually doing the things themselves. But as soon as you do something, you know, you put your own skin in the game, right? I mean, I spent uh, you know two hundred dollars on Reddit. Here's what I learned. People really value that right? because they understand that the information you're going they're going to get from you <laughs> sort of has a high filter right? because you just experienced it yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's a good attitude to have, right? It just shows you what, what you can do. Like if you can build credibility with something that you just, you know, just tried yesterday, <laughs> imagine how much credibility you can build with something that you might have, you know, have experience with for a year or two or, or even more. Yeah, that's funny. You can look at it also at a consumer producer way, yeah, because a lot of people just consume stuff on Reddit. Millions of people consume stuff on Reddit. Then a tiny percentage of that, probably less than one percent, actually posts topics like like you do, and then an even smaller percentage of those people advertise on Reddit. And then you immediately have like a whole yeah field yeah. which you can well use and show your credibility even though it's it's nothing special it's just you know just trying things and see see how it works well, also another thing i liked what you talk about is make a lot of small bets and i think that's also you know an idea that really resonates with me i'm a marketer and you know i would say hey you know use your life as a marketing example test a lot and see what works and just go in that direction yeah absolutely i think this is something to be honest i learned 
as I was trying to discover how to make a living on my own. It's not something that I, uh, that I, in fact, I would say that originally when I left my job and started thinking, my plan was to just focus on one thing and try to make it work. And then I thought if it doesn't work, I'll do something else. I had sort of this working in serious, right? sort of plan A, plan B, plan C, and so on and so forth. <laughs> but once again, I think after a couple of months, I realized that, again, I had another small crisis a little bit in me. Like basically, I started working on one project and I thought, okay, how long will I have to wait until you know I know whether this is going to work out? I mean, if, if it's starting to get some customers, but not a lot, should I just keep pushing? Maybe it will grow. Should I... When should I basically <laughs> stop and go to plan B? And that was very uncomfortable. Right? It was almost literally keeping me up at night right? because it was something that was really, <laughs> really uncomfortable, which then sort of triggered me to start thinking about alternative strategies. And I think, I can't remember exactly how it happened, right? but I sort of imagined myself doing a few other things at the same time. And then, then it doesn't really matter. Right? I mean, the question of when do I go to plan B goes out of the question if something is working but it's working slowly you can just keep it there you have other things you can shift attention and uh, i think it helps for motivation as well no matter how much we like something at some point if you do it for forever sometimes you need a break and i think it's good to have some other thing to shift attention to so pretty much the very first thing i did at the time thought i, I thought i'm going to try to do some freelancing work right it wasn't my m most preferred way of spending my time but i thought it will help me have something else get some a little bit of more some stable income <laughs> and who knows it ex could expose you to some other opportunities that it just it just adds some randomness to your life and I was a bit lucky. I knew a friend who was who had his own startup and he needed some help. And I only took like something like 10 hours a month, just a tiny amount. But even that tiny amount was very reassuring. There's a big difference from knowing you could do it if you wanted to, from you're actually doing it already, even if it's a small amount of hours. And then the second thing that I tried, which turned out to be an amazing success in my books, was trying to create my first digital product, which was the first ebook, The Good Parts of AWS. I actually did this with a co-author. I happened to have a friend of mine who pretty much followed a similar path to me. And to even de-risk it further, sort of I invited him to join me and we split the work. And um, again, like absolutely no expectations at the time. I knew... I thought it could absolutely sell nothing. Maybe it might sell 10 copies. Who knows? <laughs> and it did amazingly well. I, I, incidentally, I happened to release it for pre-orders about a year ago on October 3rd. It did over $110,000. So I just this thing that we pretty much wrote in like 10 days, right? But very, very quickly. And not only that, I discovered something else. Like I discovered that I actually really enjoyed the process of creating digital products like the, of this kind. So sort of this idea of creating a portfolio of small bets, I think it, it has so many advantages compared to the traditional approach of just focusing on one thing. Not only I think it, it tames uncertainty, which is why I started it. Basically, the uncertainty was making me uncomfortable and I think having its diversification, that's one benefit. But I think it also helps your upside in a non-obvious way. You might think that you're more, much more efficient if you focus on one thing, which, which is likely true, right? You're just putting all your energy in one thing. But the fact that you're trying different things, I mean, you never really know what's going to work or what you're going to discover. This just increases your luck surface area, right? Just by having 
two, three, four things happening at the same time. Like now I'm sort of, I feel like I'm sort of spending my time roughly split in four parts. Right? It's sort of, I have a SaaS product user base, which is still early days. It's only doing something like $150 in monthly revenue, but it's sort of covering its costs. I'm happy to keep pushing at it, but it would be a very different story if I was just focused on it full time. Right. So in addition to that, I have my info product business. Since then I created another product so far they've done I think I'm approaching almost a quarter of a million, right? Just just in a year in sales, profit is about two hundred twenty thousand. Just again, like something that absolutely, <laughs> literally a small bet, right? I mean, the, the my second product, my Twitter course, only took like three days to create. So right? it's quite incredible <laughs> that you can create something in three days and make like hundred twenty five thousand dollars in in six months. <laughs> and then I'm still doing sort of some freelancing. I stopped. The work I was doing before, I don't know if you know, but I sort of joined Gumroad itself as sort of a quarter-time product manager. You sent, uh, say, an email, huh? Yeah, that email, which went, went a bit viral. <laughs> but that's sort of part of my my sort of 25% time, right? I have 25% focused on that. It's something that I, you know, I spend a couple of hours a day on average. I spent a couple of hours probably on my info products, just, you know, figuring out whether I need to do some promotions or eventually maybe i'll create something new as well i spent some time on user base and i spent some time still on on audience building that this is probably to be honest maybe this is still the segment that takes most of my time maybe a bit more than 25 percent just because nowadays with twitter like i get probably over 100 comments and dms every day like it's just something that i'm barely managing to keep up <laughs> anymore unfortunately i would love to respond to everyone still is something that i really try to because it's i think it's super helpful super important <laughs> but it's becoming to a point where if i wanted to i could almost do it almost full time <laughs> but then i wouldn't have time to do other yeah. things so <laughs> yeah so i think people also they really don't see that building an audience is not you know only just tweeting great stuff but it's also engaging with people and i think you know a lot of people are just transmitting but they're not connecting and i think that's a really important part of being on twitter absolutely absolutely i think it's a bit tricky that because i think when you start in the beginning you don't get much opportunity to interact that you you just need to start to get some attention in the beginning but then i think especially in in the early stages as soon as you start getting comments questions I think you'd be lose, losing a lot if you don't just respond to all of them, right? I think pretty much for my first year, I think I probably responded to 100%. I pretty much every, even probably even to the trolls and <laughs> the haters and whatever, I almost responded to everyone. Like every comment on Hacker News, Reddit, whatever, everything that I got, I just gave an answer, which I think it helps build a relationship, but I think it also helps me clarify my thoughts. Even the, even the negative comments sometimes just helps me defend my, my my thinking that which which is very useful at some point i think the scale of 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 this 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 reality makes it such that at some point it's almost impossible to keep up doing it immediately as i was doing it before that otherwise probably spend more than 24 hours a day <laughs> but i still try like i pretty much the first thing i do i don't really have much of a routine but pretty much as a habit Every morning, as soon as I open my computer, I check my emails, check my DMs, and um, reply to all the ones that are sort of easy to answer, <laughs> right? Or that I have an answer that I can Im- immediately send. So it's something that I do pretty much seven days a week. <laughs> yeah. 
could be a full-time job. <laughs> Funny. So I listened to a lot of interview and you also talked about start with your own reality. Now you touched about, you touched on that subject also a little bit uh, before, but I think it's a really interesting angle. So how, how could you make that a little bit more easy for people to, to grasp, you know? Yeah, I, t- I take business. Uh, I think very differently from many other people. Basically, in my perspective, the main reason I'm working for myself or working at all <laughs> is just to improve my lifestyle. It's literally, literally lifestyle first, work second, right? And I think definitely I have things that interest me and work, right? things that I would like to work on. But I think the the, the fallacy and the, the, the trap that many people run into is that they have some big idea that they would like to build or create or see in the world. They just go into business trying to make it work at all costs. And I think this tends to lead to very imprudent risks with your money, your, your, your time, your, your, your commitments, your opportunity costs. And you, you're losing lots of optionality and along the way. That once you go in focused on just one thing, if new information comes up and you realize that you like something better or there's some new opportunity, you tend to, to ignore those things, right? which I think is not a very wise strategy to go into, uh, into business, assuming that your goal is just to make your lifestyle better. Like we tend to look at sort of celebrity entrepreneurs, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, right? And they... There's like this 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 image that you know they were obsessed with creating a computer or creating an electric car or sending rockets and whatever and they just went into you know at all costs. But I think for many of us, what we really want to do is just to live a lifestyle that is much better aligned with our own preferences. Many of us like to work from where they want and work on the things that they want to work on and not do the things that they don't that they, they dislike doing spend time with family and things like that, right? we tend to have a much more complicated <laughs> sort of ideal arrangement. I think basically when I start thinking about ideas on what to do next, I like to, to try to imagine from that starting point, like this is my ideal lifestyle, this is what I like to do, this is what I know how to do, this is what, you know, how much time I'm willing to invest. Maybe I'm only willing to do you know, two hours a day, a day or 10 hours a week or whatever. So that's the reality that I start with. And then I start to think about options. Like what, what could I do with what I have <laughs> that doesn't really jeopardize what is really important? And then I think there's, sometimes there's lots of waiting, right? I mean, for example, this arrangement with Gamro that we talked about earlier, this wasn't something that I was actively looking for. I knew I had spare time. Pretty much showed up on my Twitter. <laughs> I thought about it. I basically, the, my my thinking when I before I sent the email to Sahil, <laughs> I was thinking, okay, if I do this, will it affect my lifestyle significantly? Will I, you know, will, will it sort of create some obligation that I can't get out of? I had to imagine all the worst case scenarios <laughs> that that it could affect the things that are really important. So I think it really helps. Right? It's, it's sort of having this attitude where. You want your your reality, your lifestyle, and then you try to find things that really that that can improve it. It's just a way to validate or filter out ideas, what to pursue and what not to pursue. That if if some opportunity comes up that's going to require me to travel all around the world and just um, whatever and spend time away from my family, it's almost certainly I'm not going to even consider it. That it just helps. This heuristic helps you, no matter how good it is, <laughs> right? So this, this sort of heuristic helps you, I think, uh, discover, <laughs> right, what to put your focus on. 
Interesting. And so you you messaged uh, Sahil, you're now a quarter timer at uh, at Gumroad, head of product. It's interesting, by the way, we, we also, with the High Fury, we have an integration with Gumroad where you can automate sales on Twitter. Maybe you should try it, by the way. Um, I, I'm interested to know, what does a head of product do at Gumroad? And, and can you maybe share a little bit of what's coming? No, absolutely. I think the reality at Gumroad was that Sahil was pretty much doing all the product management work there, basically do the work related to prioritizing what needs to come next and helping the engineers figure out what to work on next and making sure that everything is well scoped so that there's a backlog of things to do. I think to, to simplify, that's pretty much what what the work involves. Right? So I'm uh, organizing the roadmap. I'm just trying to keep a document with all the important things that need to happen relatively soon. Just trying to remain connected with how the engineers are working and how, how long things are taking to just try to get a, a sense of what to prioritize, depending sometimes as well on how costly something is to build. And I think the main advantage a bit that I had is that I put, I knew Gumroad very well by using it and not only by using it personally, but I had been sort of talking with many Gumroad creators already online. Like you used to get lots of questions from other people wanting to create digital products and I've been sort of helping people already. So I think the reason this arrangement is working really well in Gumroad, first of all, Gumroad for a long time uh, has been working pretty much with part-timers, freelancers, and as far as I know, everyone still is. Probably even Sahil considers himself part-time CEO. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, he's doing you know, he's doing some investments as well. Right? He's doing other things. And basically, Sahil uh, arranged the company in such a way that work happens very asynchronously. There's almost never the need for people to be in the same place at the same time. So... Basically, what I'm doing pretty much every morning, I check in what's happening, right, to see if there's anything that needs to be, that either, either requires my input, somebody needs help maybe deciding what to work on next or, or something along those lines. And then I tend to spend a few hours, but most of the time right now at the weekends, just going to what we plan to do and updating, organizing the backlogs and things like that. Right? So it's working really well. And I think it's a very interesting way of working. Right. I really would love to see more more businesses and companies doing something like this. And it's quite fascinating to see Gumroad, a, a very successful now, obviously, business working with, I, I don't know how many employees right now, but I think 15 or 20, pretty much all full-timers, uh, all, sorry, freelancers or, or part-timers. <laughs> I think the big thing right now, the main focus is on the memberships feature. So this is basically to allow creators to do things like what you would typically find on Patreon, right, where you can sort of take a monthly fee, monthly uh, charge from your audience, and you could either deliver sort of gated content or you could just have a community or things like that. So there's lots of small features that the products required to allow this to happen, pretty much wrapping it up. Sort of next year, well, the main focus is going to be about more structured courses and more sort of 
not just uploading a file and just being a, a collection of your product, just being a collection of files, but being able to create lectures and basically your, your users would be able to see how much they've progressed and, and things like that. But those are the two main things. But apart from those, there's lots of tiny, small things. There's a product roadmap that we're keeping public, happy to share with you later, that we're pretty much just keeping it up to date. I just updated something just five minutes before, <laughs> before our call. This is something that I'm taking care of. I'm trying to make it very, I'm trying to speak the creator's language. So if you create and use Gumroad, everything you see there should make sense to you. And obviously, if you'd like to to see something that's not in the list, let us know and, and we'll consider it. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. So I saw the notions uh, documentation. I think that's what where you keep. Uh... That's the roadmap. Yes, there's a big list. It's changed quite a bit since uh, since the last month. Uh, now it's a big list of things grouped by sort of the topic, and basically there's just two tags. Either it's coming soon or it's done. Right. So there isn't really much of hard dates, just because it's almost um, very hard to do in software. But things that are we started working on, we're marking them as coming soon. And those typically will come out in, in about a month, typically. Yeah. How does decision-making work in Gumroad on, on what you guys are, are working on? What do you look at? Yeah, so I think I'm thank to for some of the smallish product-related decisions, sort of making the decisions on what to prioritize first. Obviously, you know, many things would like to do everything, right? So it's mostly not really just a, a decision of, whether to do something or not, but whether to do do this first or do this or do this other thing first. Obviously, for the big things, uh, Sahel is still involved. Right? He, you know, he, nobody can really replace Sahel. His, his, you know, it's his baby, and he's doing, been doing this for for a decade, <laughs> and he knows the creator sort of community more than anyone else. But uh, I'm just trying to help in that in that process, right? And for example, right now we've been onboarding quite a few new engineers and sort of I've been quite busy just helping them pick their first tasks and making sure that there's something that that are useful that they're just not something something that we don't need so yeah I'm just helping with that decision making and <laughs> on the product side do you also look at you know this is going to impact mostly new users or existing users or this is going to impact revenue how how do you make decisions yeah, I think most of them probably main goal is that we're trying to prioritize things that help creators make more money, <laughs> right? And uh, and obviously there's different types of creators. Like for example, we talked about memberships. There are some creators that just are not interested in it. It's not something that they will ever use. So there's obviously sometimes a decision that needs to be made on behalf of other creators that might be interesting interested in that. It's a complicated approach. I mean, all those things that you mentioned matter. Obviously, the things that could significantly influence revenue or things like that, it's something that obviously Sahil would be involved definitely with those things. But many things are much smaller. Right? We just released a couple of things this week, right? You know, just adding, for example, social images when you send out a post or you can inter- better integration with Zapier and other things like these that you start hearing creators mentioning them right online on Twitter, sort of trying to get that feel. And then, you know, there's this big list of things that we wanted to do. And then we realize, oh, this might be a quick win. There's like these, you know, we know there's like a few dozen people that still want this. It's only going to take us a couple of days to do. Let's do it. So I think most of my work is mostly these things that are not that. There isn't that much of a dilemma in terms of what to choose. They're almost 
obvious and we might not choose to do them for example because they might take a long time to do right? so even the, even if something is really useful maybe this will take us a month to do and we choose instead of spending a month on this it's better to do these other five things right so that's the kind of activity that's typically happening in my <laughs> in my circle interesting Funny, I was thinking, if if Daniel stays uh, with Gumroad for a while, he's gonna reach his his Amazon level again at one company, you know, selling your your products and uh, being involved with uh, Gumroad. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Funny. it's you know to be honest, it's not really uh, you know obviously if I earn more money, I'll be happy, right? But it's not really I'm not really targeting. Basically, when I left Amazon, I put a much thought of <laughs> the idea that I might get to that level ever again. It was something that actually helped me take the plunge. I said, okay, I'm completely fine if I never ever get close to it again. So I know I just treat it like a bonus. I mean, my only goal is just to make this lifestyle sustainable and be able to pay the bills and sort of live reasonably comfortably. If <laughs> anything else is just a bonus, I'll take it. I'll be happy with it, <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything crazy <laughs> to, to make it happen. <laughs> I heard you talk about so the AWS and the the gum of the the Twitter course is not gonna you know make you money until you know twenty thirty or whatever and so uh, you're now constantly also thinking okay what what else can I do and tell me a little bit on how that works with you when do you decide to go left or right yes so I'd like to do another product but uh, you're right right I mean these types of products they tend to have a lifetime and uh, sort of I think they tend to run out after a while. The strategy that I've been taking that I think has been effective for me is that I try to, this is something that comes off from my audience building efforts, that I'm constantly sharing what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and how I'm approaching my own lifestyle building and my business building and whatever. By default, I share everything for free, right? People ask me questions on Twitter, get emails, DMs, or publicly, and I just try to respond to everyone. But then, obviously, there are some things that you can't really you can't really articulate enough detail in a tweet reply right, or in a DM. And I think this is where I start to see the opportunities for info products. It's where, and this is, for example, what happened with my Twitter audience. I mean, it's funny that I released my first ebook about AWS and I started sharing some statistics about how it was doing. Many people were asking me, oh, that's amazing. How did you manage to get 11,000 followers back then? Right? I mean, what did you do? And I was getting this question every day. <laughs> and I was replying in a, you know, a short paragraph about sort of a little bit of what I did. But I realized that people want to know more. They're asking me. And I have more to say. right? And I think this could be something that I, I can package as an info product. I just try to keep aware of when this happens, right? when there's like spillover knowledge that I'm not able to share just because I can't really share on Twitter is just impractical, right? Or it would just take me a very long time to do. And I think I like to see, to sort of take these as candidates for, for info products. Not everyone probably is the right opportunity. Some, some things may be, I could say something about them, but maybe people might not, I might sense that people might not be willing to pay money for them, right? Or maybe, maybe there's not enough content. Maybe this should just be a blog post. For example, recently, I think a very good blog post, I sent it out over on my newsletter, pretty much about, uh, I went into lots of detail about how I promoted my info products. I shared it on Reddit as well. And I spent probably like two or three days writing this because I really 
went deep into pretty much every single tweet that I sent out promoting my product, every, pretty much every small detail, what worked, what didn't work. Lots of different pricing strategies that I tried, you know, and the effect that they had on sales. You, you, you could argue this, I could probably package this in an info product if I really wanted to. But I think the, the threshold was that it still felt like there just wasn't enough to charge $20 for it. Like they just... It fits in a blog post, and I just said, okay, let me just share it for free. You know, use it to get some, help other people, get some more attention, answer lots of questions. I shared it on Reddit. It did really well. Got, I think, like, say, 1,600 votes and got like some 250 questions. Again, like just introduced me to many other people. So instead of just, you know, trying to make money out of it, I just used it to just keep building the audience. But I think there are some things that you feel that they cross that threshold that make it a worthy product. Like now, to be honest, something that I haven't really shared publicly yet, but something that I'm really evaluating is some of the topics we discussed on this podcast, like this sort of this approach of lifestyle design, right? It's sort of, I think I have lots to say about it. I get lots of questions about it. And I think I can present it in a way that here's what I did and here's all the things I thought about and I tried. And it's not necessarily an exhaustive way of everyone's preferences, but I think it can help inspire people of seeing how one guy did it, right? And how one guy went through this sort of journey and all these options that I considered and uh, the pros and cons of having lived it myself. I think it's something that I could probably do as an ebook, like something, you know, this sort of collection of essays type of format where, you know, not necessarily a story that you start from the beginning and the end, but could be just, you know, something like, you know, you have, it's almost like 30 blog posts <laughs> collected into one ebook kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not settled yet on it, but it's something that I'm sort of a bit back in my head <laughs> wondering whether is there enough content? Is there enough interest? Do I have enough things to say? <laughs> and, you know, if, if at some point it happens, <laughs> I might just take and disappear for, for a week <laughs> and just try to do it. I think it's a good angle and you have good content to do it because you have the income part, how you get your income, but also you did a lot of work on your expenses. You even you sold a house, you moved somewhere else, you cut all your mortgage costs. So there's a... There's a big part you can share. And, you know, I don't know, do you know Money Moustache, Mr. Money Moustache? Do you know that guy? I know him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that movement, the fire movement. Sort of, I think it's very inspiring to see how people reevaluate all their expectations. I don't consider myself a fire person. Like, I don't think retiring early or financial independence is necessarily something that I am actively pursuing. Basically, I think my biggest difference is that I optimize for more for living in the present than deferring to the future. Right? It's probably my, my biggest difference <laughs> with Mr. Money Moustache. But I think still, I probably read, I, maybe not everything he wrote, but almost all, because I think it's really, really useful to sometimes see the question, do I really need all these things? Right? It really helps you evaluate expectations. So <laughs> it's, it's a very good, good thing to, to go to. Yeah, the fire movement is probably, you know, one way of, of looking at things. And I think you have a, a nice middle ground of, you know, not, you know, going overboard with your expenses, but also still living a life you're you're comfortable with. And uh, yeah, so could be a nice course. <laughs> okay, thank you, Daniel. Where can people uh, find you? 
I think the best way is probably on Twitter at Divasallo, V-A-S-S-A-L-L-O. I pretty much tweet almost every day. I'm pretty much sharing. As soon as I bump into something interesting in my daily life, uh, when somebody asks me a question and I think it might be interesting to my general audience and I try to uh, rephrase it on Twitter. And yeah, I do my best to answer any questions. So if you have any questions, DM or email and I'll do my best. <laughs> To give you my best answer. <laughs> Maybe one last question. When does uh, Daniel Fasallo retweet people? So I quite strict with retweeting. Actually, I don't. I, I actually feel that retweets don't add much value. I, I don't t- generally tend to like following accounts that all they do is just retweet or retweet with, with just a small comment. Basically, I think my, my criteria for retweeting typically is that if it's I, I think something that my audience will immensely value if they see right, that they will something that is published supplementing and adding to the other things that I typically do myself. I think my retweet ratio is probably just probably 5% or less, right, compared to my normal tweets. So I try to be very, to be honest, I, I think just, it's not just retweets only. I try to be very, very careful with what I post on my main timeline. On the com- on the tweet replies, I'm very, obviously, I tweet, reply a lot, right? But I'm not the one that sort of recommends just, you know, post 10, 20 tweets a day and just whatever comes to mind. I'd say to sort of keep a high bar (laughs) to what I put in other people's feeds. I think the risk is that if people flag you in their heads that, you know, you post lots of low information content, you know, whenever they see you, they just keep scrolling, right? And you don't want that to happen. (laughs) Very good one. Good last tip. Thank you. Thank you very much, Daniel. (laughs) Awesome. No, thanks. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe because we have a lot more shows coming your way. Also, don't forget to leave an iTunes review. We're a new podcast and we'll rely on them heavily. And if you enjoyed this show, please tweet about this and share this episode with a friend of yours.